When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know Book Riot has more than 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. And don't miss our newest newsletter, Our Queerest Shelves, which will deliver LGBTQ plus news and recommendations straight to your inbox. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, ahem, YA lovers, mystery thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. There's more than 25, so I have a feeling you'll find something. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, where we like to talk about all things romance, novels, Landia, artists, whichever. I am Jess, and we are recording episode 78 on Thursday, March 4th, 2021. <laughs> we're, we're finally into March. <laughs> We've made it. We're like now. Yeah, we're knocking on like 20% of the way through 2021, which is both Highly unbelievable, and also sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. That's all we can send to the gods of 2021. Indeed. Yes, exactly. I feel like, yeah, this is a weird year. It's feel like I've been waiting for it to start for the last two and almost a half months. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it has started. It has indeed. We are in it. We are cruising right through. So, and cruising right through with uh, all of you and with all of our, our romance landia and books and all of the other intelligent things that Jess said when she was describing the show. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> and we are delighted to be here. We are starting the show with a quick request. We usually do this at the end, but we're doing a quick re request for rating and reviewing When in Romance, if you would be so kind. Anywhere you listen. And we'd love to hear if you found something you loved reading while listening to the show, whether it was a book recommendation, or we talked about an author, or we had an author on at some point long ago. We just love to hear um, from you. This sort of feels like a, a an awesome conversation between Trisha and I, but we'd love to have the two-way conversation with you all. Indeed. Yeah, we, we'd love to know what you like about the show so we can do more of it and less of the other stuff. <laughs> so... Please do take a second, rate and review if you have not done so already. To those of you who have, thank you so much. Um, we do take a look at those, as does our wonderful managing, not edit, like just manager of mischief and magic, uh, Jen, who is the person who who gently reminds us that this is not a two-hour podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so so she takes a look and, and tosses some of the feedback our way, too. So, so yeah, yes. please uh, feel free to rate and review. Absolutely. And this is like a weirdly... After I feel like not having a lot of news for a while, we have sort of a lot of news this week. Mm -hmm. uh, so we will get into that, but maybe we will do an ad spot first. 
Yes, let's. So thank you to St. Martin's Griffin and Float Plan for sponsoring this episode of When in Romance. Critically acclaimed author Trish Dollar's unforgettable and romantic adult debut about setting sail, starting over, and finding yourself. Since the loss of her fiancé, Anna has been shipwrecked by grief, until Anna impulsively goes to sea in their sailboat, intending to complete a trip they'd planned together. But after a treacherous night's sail, she realizes she can't do it by herself, and hires Keen, a professional sailor, to help. Much like Anna, Keen has his own demons. As romance rises with the tide, they discover that it's never too late to chart a new course. And I gotta tell you, my pun-loving heart loved that entire description because, oh, it's so good. Sail Sailing references that also work as relationship references and life references. You gotta love it. And I hope that Trish Dollar's float plan also has some of those key things. All right. So our first news of the week it's funny, Jess, because you know when you're in, I don't know, whatever grade where you like pretend to write news articles <laughs> and they tell you you have to do the who, what, where, when, why, how. Mm -hmm. I think how came a little late to the list because it was not in my textbooks that had been published like 15 years before. <laughs> anyway, as an aside, I feel like the news story that we are starting with is less a story of what, which is usually a lot of the anchor, and more a story of how. Mm -hmm. The news was released and shared. So Sourcebooks, which is an independent publisher, but is, uh, I want to say Penguin Random House has like a 40% share in it, something like that. Something like that. Less than 50. Yeah. And Sourcebooks has put out a lot of, of good books. You know, I think as a publisher, they are the largest women-owned publisher in North America, which is interesting. <laughs> And it's going to get more interesting as we have this conversation. So they announced two things. They're kind of connected, sort of. So first of all, they uh, announced that E.L. James, uh, author of, perhaps you've heard of it, the Fifty Shades trilogy, <laughs> and at least one, but I think two books that are sort of done from the other perspective, so like five Fifty Shades books, has kind of shifted over to source books. They've picked up her entire backlist. Mm -hmm. Uh, so including the Fifty Shades books, obviously. And I think the understanding is that if she publishes more books, they will go there. So that's kind of the first announcement is that E.L. James has moved. The second part of it is that Sourcebooks is also now going to be launching a, well, they keep calling it a journey, like a, <laughs> some sort of initiative. So they're talking about this innovative new imprint. Uh, that's a quote from the thing. Of which E.L. James is like the core publication. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. And the new imprint will be focused on authors with well-established community platforms who want to have more creative ownership over their books. They talk about it as being for entrepreneurs. I think like it's just a very, there's really no information. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they use words like unconventional and, you know, entrepreneur, creative ownership. And it really doesn't tell us anything, but it is meant to be focused. And this is part of where there were some challenges. They they talked about it being focused on women as authors. Very, very often about it being focused mm -hmm. on women. Yes. And like reading sort of between the lines, I'm going to assume that this currently unnamed imprint 
with E.L. James at its core is thinking about authors like E.L. James. Fifty Shades of Grey was originally published independently, and then she got so famous that she was that it was acquired, and all of her books were published by a traditional publisher. Yeah. Which one? I don't actually remember. So I'm thinking that Sourcebooks is trying to take that model and reach out to current self-published authors who have that entrepreneurial spirit, but want the backing of a traditional publisher that they aren't currently getting. That's what I'm making assumptions about. I can't tell you that it's actually what's happening. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that, like you said, after she had been indie published, she she was actually at Penguin Random House. Okay. So it's not shocking that she would be shifting over to source books, which Penguin PRH has a pretty big stake in. Yeah. I, and I think, I don't know, the whole thing very much has a feel of like, you know, sometimes like you sit around and have a glass or a bottle or many bottles of wine with your friends and like you come up with like what's going to be a really good idea Mm -hmm. and then like the next morning you're like yes let's do this idea and then you have no idea what any of the details are yeah how you're actually going to go about it yeah which is kind of what happened here and i mean it this is there's a press release like this is that is not what happened here like this has obviously been in the works for some time but there's not a lot of discussion on it. And there was some concern and I think frustration that the idea that this new imprint would be focused on women was very gendered, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's this, it's again, it's the kind of situation where this did not have to be a big deal. Sourcebooks could have immediately come out and said, you're right, we should not have done that. We actually want to be able to support people of all genders um, and particularly non-male, you know, cis authors are underrepresented. You know, there there were ways to address that. But what actually happened is that they got some pushback, I think rightly so, for gendering this imprint and didn't – I don't – I never saw a particularly successful or compelling response to it. I didn't either. That doesn't mean that there wasn't one floating about, but it sure wasn't distributed in the same way that their announcement was distributed. And yeah, the the first thing I saw was Pam Jaffe, the person who sort of started the conversation about it, posting their little image. And the word women is like the biggest, biggest thing. Like, I, I honestly didn't know what else was happening. It was just like a new imprint for women. And I had a few confused thoughts. Mm-hmm. First... This is romance, and while we've been trying to move away from the conversation about by women for women, because romance is for everyone, it is Mm -hmm. a heavily woman-centric genre. I know that, like, the heads of, like, Harlequin are not women. They They haven't been women. So, like, sure, we could talk about, like, publishing leadership not being female, especially in romance. But what is so new about this imprint for women? And why now in 2021, when we are trying to both attract and reach the queerish generation, not just in sexual orientation, but in gender identity, do we talk about women? And I know that women doesn't just mean cis women, but it sure felt like it. (laughs) in their in their situation yeah 
So I don't, there's a whole lot of stuff. And it was interesting that that came on the back of Sourcebooks announcing that they had inquired basically Alexis Hall's entire backlog of books that he published with Riptide or on his own and another like 10 books going out the next 10 years. It's like, so you've got these people and then you've got these people, but you're not considering them all part of the same source books family. So it's it's just an a really interesting thing and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it just because hopefully everyone they and we will understand what they're doing with this thing. Yeah, and I think you're I think you as always uh totally hit the nail on the head just when you talked about sort of the timing of like this in 2021, right? <laughs> right now, this feels very much like a thing that would have seemed or felt innovative like seven or eight years ago, maybe. Maybe. Ma- yeah, again, maybe that's being generous. <laughs> um, and it still would have been an issue that they had not been inclusive, you know, from the jump and, and been very clear about being inclusive of gender, which it still is not entirely clear that they are. They've changed some of their language, I think, maybe a little bit to indicate that they will be fully inclusive of gender, ethnicity, race, sexual orientation. I think they have changed this. So the the links that we have in our show notes, I believe are not as women focused as the original pieces may have been. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like it would have seemed less unbelievable that they couldn't have seen that backlash coming, at least to me, seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And now it does seem just a little tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Also, this is super petty, but like the the landing page, like the the website that you can go to to like learn more about this and to sign up for the emails so that you can make sure you're in the loop is sourcebooks slash disruptors. <laughs> I'm like, all right, come on now. Like, let's, okay. What are we disrupting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's feels, uh, feels a little, maybe, I don't know. My three-year-old nephew thinks he's Spider-Man mm. and this feels a little... Like that. Like maybe you don't have an entirely clear understanding of who you are and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can't actually web someone uh, as my nephew would like to do. So I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. Maybe they'll turn the ship on this. Yeah, I would like to offer source books the benefit of the doubt for maybe not having the language right for what they wanted to do. Because they've been, like you said at the top, like they've been doing some good things. They're good people. They've been publishing some really great books. But what is this? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, yes. And it's, yeah, it is interesting, like I said, that they've, you know, now I'm on the Disruptors page, obviously. And uh <laughs> They have like fully inclusive in bold of gender, ethnicity, race, sexual orientation. I don't know that the word woman is on this page at all anymore, mm. which is kind of interesting. So I don't know. I mean, I guess, like I said, this is this is less a story, I think, of, yeah, what, because I, I don't even know. Does this matter, Jess? Like, does the E.L. James news even matter? You know, she's been out of the news cycle for a while. So instead of publishing the sequel to the mister or whatever we now have her entire backlog coming in potentially new packaging who knows but does it really matter we don't know yeah i don't know like i said i think i think the discussion that was started by the way this was unrolled was more interesting to me than the release itself but Mm. but far be it from me 
to tell disruptors how to disrupt. I mean, I look forward to seeing that disruption. Excellent. I think we all do. I think uh, we all look forward to seeing whatever we're disrupting. Yeah. All right. Anything else to say about this? Is there anything else here? I, I don't know. There are some other things to talk about, so let's not get bogged down. All right. Okay. Yeah. So we'll link to some of that. You all can take a look and see what you think of it. In other news about a good reminder of why inclusion actually matters, mm -hmm. we saw a place where we had to, well, not we, Meryl Wilsner had to call out a situation where inclusion was very much not present. Mm hmm so recently, Meryl Wilsner announced via Twitter that they had been asked not to participate in an author event that they'd been invited to by a library. And Meryl, being the gracious soul that they are, did not name the library because it wasn't the library's fault. The library was very much into being able to hold this event, but the people who sign the checks of the library as a library. The people who can say yes or no on their budget said that they would not offer them budget money for the coming year if they held a queer event. So it's not just Merrill that was affected by this. It was any other authors. It is their entire queer community of uh, Either a very, either a small, medium, or large library system. We don't know because, like I said, Merrill did not name the library or the town or city. But it's just, we have to remember that although a lot of us like to think we live in very progressive times, we do not. And, you know, we see this happening not all the time, but relatively frequently with kids' books and YA, because, you know, you got to protect the kids from the sexual activity happening in, like, George or something that was sarcastic. Please do not assume that there is sexual activity happening in a middle grade book about a gender nonconforming child. But it also happens for adult books and in romance, and especially as we've seen this outpouring of events where people have realized that romance is awesome and they want to talk to romance authors, we're going Hooray. to see more of this happening. Yeah, I think that piece you mentioned there, Jess, about how, it, I mean, it's no less nefarious and awful when it happens at a school library or, or you know, in a, in a collection of young adult or, or middle grade books. But people at least think that they have more to hide behind. They don't. Again, mm -hmm. to be clear, it's awful. But when you are telling what seems to be an adult library of people that they cannot, they should not be doing an event around where two women fall in love, that's terrible. And I think one of the things, too, that Meryl Wilsner mentioned that this is a thing that I don't always think about as someone who's not an author, but this was, um, they mentioned that this is the first event that they were going to be paid for. Mm. And I think, I don't know whether or not they were actually paid for the event, given that they were not allowed to do it. But it's, you know, in addition to the fact that authors at events like these often get paid when they're doing them, they also sell books. Mm -hmm. And so they lost the opportunity to do that also. And I think that's, I don't know, it's just sort of, there's so many different ways that this 
decision by one county or the commissioners of one county hurts people. Mm-hmm. That it's, I think it's like you said, we sometimes forget that this still happens in 2021. And in fact, it, I'm sure it happens in a lot of places. I, I'm sure there are a lot of places where mm-hmm. Meryl Wilsner would never have even been invited to talk about the book because it's about two women. Yes. And who's to say how much this has happened without an author saying publicly that it did happen even now or last year when all of the virtual events began. And it's just, I saw some in the, in that same thread, someone mentioned that they had put it in a clause in their contract where they would still have to be paid at least the fee that was offered with the exception of an act of God. So if the other party canceled on them, they still had to pay them, which one made them think about canceling and two still got the author paid. And yeah, just like the loss for both sides in any situation where something like this happens, whether it's making the decision not to invite someone because of their sexual and gender identity and the things that they are writing about sexual and gender identity, especially the happy kind. Like, just the fact that this happened with a romance author is even more hurtful to my soul because there are so many people who only get exposed to queer stories that are sad. And <laughs> there's just there's just so much about this whole thing that just it's it's terrible and it hurts and it's painful to think about and nothing is really going to change but we can at least call it out when we see it. Yeah. And I I think you mentioned this at the top but um something to talk about is the book in particular that Meryl Wilson wrote that came out last year. So, if you're interested in supporting them and making a statement related to uh, how ridiculous and awful this is, feel free to buy something to talk about by Meryl Wilsner. Feel free to request it from your library. Mm-hmm. And the Twitter thread that I will link to in the show notes has a link to Meryl's indie bookstore. Apparently, they <laughs> it seems like they were going to maybe run out of signed copies because people <laughs> were ordering it. Uh, but they went in, I think, this week to sign more. So, you know, if you're trying to find some, you know, positive thing to do to help make good impacts, that's an option. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was kind of a bummer, but <laughs> we have an ad We spot. can make change. I know. I was going to say, like, and actually our story after is also kind of a bummer. <laughs> but in the meantime, in the meantime, we get to talk about House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass. Sarah J. Mass's number one New York Times bestselling Crescent City series begins with House of Earth and Blood. Introducing half-fae and half-human Bryce Quinlan as she seeks revenge in a modern fantasy world of magic, danger, and searing romance. With unforgettable characters, sizzling romance, and page-turning suspense, this richly inventive new fantasy series delves into the heartache of loss, the price of freedom, and the power of love. It is out now in paperback from Bloomsbury Publishing. It is, just so you know, the winner of the 2020 Goodreads Choice Awards for Fantasy, and many of you probably already know Sarah J. Mass uh, for her epic romance, so do check out House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass if you haven't already. It is in paperback now. All right, so I don't know, Jess, the story is kind of a bummer, maybe kind of not a bummer. It's Well, we get to shift from homophobia to racism, so, I mean... I mean, 
Hooray? Hooray? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't know that that both are bad. So, but what we have now is we think kind of, and we'll come back to that, more information about the, the state of racial diversity in romance publishing. Uh, the Root Bodice Report, we've talked about this um, every year that we've been doing the podcast. I think at least three of these have come out since we've been doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. The Root Bodice is a romance-only bookstore in Los Angeles, in California. Uh, it was, I believe, the first romance-only bookstore, and for a while the only, uh, and now I think there are a few others, mm-hmm. but... The owners, B and Leah Koch, have long been devoted to sort of making sure that they are talking about inclusion and diversity and um, carrying all kinds of different diverse titles in their bookstore. It's a thing that they've spoken out uh, about a lot. They have also done this report uh, in which they ask all publishers, all romance publishers, to provide a title of the books that they have published in the previous year. Then they take a look at those books and by publisher, they report in this diversity report, how many, uh, sorry, not not how many, we'll come back to that too, (laughs) what percentage of books published in 2020 or whichever year were written by people of color. So for example, their report indicates that in 2020, 10.9% of the Avon romance books were published by people of color, 14% of Berkeley, 0% of Bethany House. That's a trend. It has always been zero. Mm -hmm. It continues to be zero. Um, And, you know, we'll link to the full report and we'll link to some Book Riot coverage of it. You know, I think the numbers are, on the whole, very upsetting. You do see some trending up. You see um, Avon has trended up. From 2.8% in 2016 to 109 in 2020, Berkeley has generally increased. They're down a little bit this year from 17% to 14 Karina up significantly. They started at uh, 5.4 in 2016. Their low was 2.4. And now they're up to 37. And given that Karina is also doing some, I think, pretty unique, and this is unfortunate that more, more publishers aren't, aren't doing it, but more, some unique uh, work related to queer publishing. Mm-hmm. That says something. So, I mean, I think you can go through and see which publisher is doing what. But I will say um, Kensington is up at 44.8%, which they started at 127 and have uh, pretty much just increased since then. You know, Jess, I think this is interesting. I also think that some of the ways that we saw this rollout happen this year mm-hmm. indicate to me that maybe people feel differently about this report than they did when it was first rolled out in 2016. You know, it, in 2016 and in, you know, the at least the next year and um, maybe even the year after that, it was so jarring to see the numbers, to actually see numbers yeah. in front of you saying, this is how many books were published and this is how many of them were written by authors of color. Like just having somebody say, this is bad. I mean, everybody yeah. knows that romance publishing is horrendously white. Like not not even just like extremely white. Like if you look at if you took the population just of the United States and the demographic chart and slapped the demographic chart of what publishing in general and romance publishing specifically looks like it would not be anywhere near identical. So we, we all know that sort of in our hearts and just as we look around. But to have like 
some really clear information. I don't want to call it data because as we'll talk about later, it could be more data-y. Um, but having like clear information that lays it all out was jarring and we hoped that it would make a difference. And for some publishers, maybe it did. I don't know if it was, you know, the pushback from seeing this and other kinds of reports, or if it was just people in those publishing houses being like, you know what, we should probably do something about this. But the thing is, this report has been put out for five years, and it continues to be stagnant. And I think that some people are wondering if we need it. (laughs) Yeah, and I think you're I think it's it's true that honestly, five years ago, no one else was doing this. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I gotta be, I gotta tell you, I don't know that right now anyone else is really doing it. But I think we are increasingly seeing calls for someone to do it and do it with more kind of statistical and data integrity. Mm-hmm. I will say, you know, there's been some pushback. I more than I have seen in any other year or time when this report came out because of some of the the flaws in the way that this data is put together. Now you're right, information is put together. uh, And we can talk about those. I think we have talked about those when we've talked about this report. Mm -hmm. To their credit, no one else was doing this. The Riftbot has started doing it. And as you said, I think some people really needed to see those numbers. Mm -hmm. I think no one had ever seen them before. Now, I will also say at this point, I'm not sure how much value add there is in part because the numbers have not changed dramatically and in part because I think at this point we should be able to do better, mm-hmm. right? We're more and more aware of the issues of racism and lack of inclusion in romance publishing. Someone should be willing to fund this report. Somebody should be willing to fund a data analyst. Like there are people who could do this. There are people who could run this information. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, what we end up with is percentages. I remember actually sending a note to uh, the Ripbottis team maybe two years ago now, asking if they would release like the raw numbers, just just out of curiosity, you know, just to see, yes, Karina's at 37% and Bold Strokes is at 1.9%, but what is the difference in the number of mm-hmm. how many books are being published, right? How many does Bold Strokes publish? How many does Karina publish? Like, what what are the actual numbers as opposed to the percentages? And how many of those titles are by the same author? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, two Rebecca Weatherspoon books in the same series came out in 2020. So that pushes mm-hmm. Kensington up just because they've had two titles out of however many um, and yeah. that's just one example. Like, I'm sure that they're, they have other authors, but she is one that I could definitely pinpoint as mm-hmm. definitely having more than one book coming out in one calendar year. So that raw data is something. And, you know, one of the conversations that I've seen had since this was put out very suddenly on, what, Tuesday? Yeah. Was we as sort of the super... Super readers of Romance Landia are curious about their transparency and why they don't release the numbers or their methodology or anything like that. And, you know, like you said, they, no one else was doing this and they are 
doing this out of a feeling of necessity, but we need to go beyond that now. Yeah, and I almost wonder if at this point, and I I have no idea what their business model looks like. I have no idea what they put into this, but I almost wonder if at this point we need for them to to advocate for and i'm not saying they should fund it but for for them to help advocate for someone whether it is one of these publishers whether it is you know just a crowdsourced effort someone could actually be looking at this data in a way that is i think more more transparent but also just more telling and more nuanced Mm -hmm. i think you know there may be stories here that are genuine success stories it may be that kensington saw what their numbers looked like and thought, you know what, we need to do better. But until we know more about how many authors and how many books and what, you know, where the actual movement is, then, you know, we, I don't, it's, it's like you said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure how, how the value add of this report compares in 2021 to the first report that was done with 2016 data. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just on top of that, something that I was thinking about, and I have also seen brought up in conversation, mostly on Twitter, is the idea of authors of color and actually producing material with characters of color, which is another nuance or element that I would like to see in the, our, our dream report of authors, titles, sales, publishing money, like a uh, promotional money all of that is what number of authors who are authors of color are writing white characters because that's what sells or that's because that's what their publisher can sell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's just, there are so many little bits to this that I just like, it's been the same report, which is fine because that means we get to layer the information on top of each other for the past five years. But at what point can we go bigger? Like you were asking. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it it does, if nothing else, and in the same way that, you know, maybe the weird, (laughs) weird and disruptive uh, (laughs) source books press release does open up the conversation of what does it mean when you use the term women as opposed, you know, to a more inclusive term. Mm -hmm. This report, when it comes out every year, does remind people, oh, hey, this is a problem because there's no way that you could cut this information and publish this information and not be able to see there is a massive problem here. Mm-hmm. There, you know, no one is pretending that there is not a massive problem here. I think we're just, as you were sort of indicated, we're, we're more, we're ready now for more nuanced and mature. And I don't mean mature as kind of, I don't mean that to be a dig, but just kind of more interesting information. I think if it had come out, honestly, four years ago, People wouldn't have been able to handle it, and they would, they would have brushed it off. Mm-hmm. I think now we have, and maybe in part because of this kind of of reporting and discussion, we're now ready for something more interesting. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, we, we certainly will link to it. And it's not that the data is bad, although a couple of people did also raise the question of mm-hmm. how it is determined whether someone, you know, if it's if it's not clear and someone has not self-identified you know, whether they are a person of color or a writer of color, how that is figured out. And I do, you know, there's some FA, there's an FAQ or or something about that. So it's worth taking a look at that to get some more information. But so that's a little iffy. Like there are just enough things about it now that it's, it's not year one anymore. And we might all be ready to kind of 
think about this a little bit differently. Um, but it will, you know, again, credit where it's due. This information was not coming from anywhere for a long time. So we will link to that. We'll have it there. Take a look and let us know kind of what you're thinking about it. Let us know if this information is still in any way helpful or impactful to you. And if we hear from from folks on what they think, we'll talk about it a little bit on the next podcast too. Absolutely. Tresha, are you ready for something happy? Yeah, this has not been our I mean it's it's we're disrupting, we're disrupting obviously yeah. a lot of things, but it's not been our, our most happy and cheerful podcast uh of the year so far. So yes, please just bring me something happy. Are you reading or have read anything you like? What's going on? You know, I'm trying to read and <laughs> as as I've mentioned <laughs> at the at the end of every episode of this podcast for the past year because it's been a year. It's it's been rough going and you know, I I might start some stuff and never finish it or or I might like devour a book in a couple hours and then read nothing else for several days. But I have been making my way through a couple books that are just really delightful and I actually come back to them if I leave them for a while. So that's that's great. I'm gi- I'm giving myself a win for that. Yeah. Big win. Big win. And one of those books is Touch Me by Alexandria House. Alexandria House is technically a new to me author. Her name has been popping out to me forever. I have like nine of her books on my want to read list on Goodread. But I hadn't actually like hit the button on reading one of her books. And I actually started out listening to this. It's It started out as an Audible original. And then I guess at some point, um, much like Alyssa Cole's Audible original, she was able to get the rights to publish the print. So I was listening to it, and it's this great story about a college professor and a an artist in residence in this like college town that was built on a plantation, and it's a historically black college, and the people there understand the history of the place and everything. And it's actually the second book in a series, but I didn't read the first one because it's a a student-teacher relationship. And even though the age is fine, they're both adults. You know, I that's just not my thing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But... This one, I was listening to it and it was like, it's taking too long. I got to go read the print. So <laughs> I switched to print and um, it's it's still just as compelling. And there's also like a vaguely supernatural element to it. Mm-hmm. All of that together. And her writing is just like so great. And then I'll just mention the second one that I've come back to a few times. It's taking me a, a little bit longer to read it because the situation is uncomfortable, but it's a really great book. And that is The Home I Find With You by Sky Killane. And it is a like near future post-apocalyptic book set in post-World War III, Second Civil War, whatever, Colorado. So it feels very familiar to me, (laughs) which is why Uh, I can only read it in little pieces. But it's like this great community of people and like everybody's sleeping with each other and just really like comfortable with being physical with each other, probably because they've lost everything else. But it's also got like the post-apocalyptic kind of feel to it. They're towns and 
of people protecting each other and people trying to like steal what everyone else has and but there's also like these really great relationships between people so i'm i'm not as far into that as i am into touch me so i can't really tell you a whole lot about the plot but i it it feels good to read but only in small bits because it's so close Yeah, weird that the uh, post-apocalyptic, sort of post-World War Three book that feels so relatable <laughs> is one that you have to take a little at a time, Jess. I, I wonder why that would be. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I've got a couple for you as well. The first is A Lady's Formula for Love. It is by Elizabeth Everett, and I do want to start with the mention that this book has a trans man character who plays a key supporting role in it and to me the representation didn't seem in any way insensitive um there is sort of pain and trauma involved um in that character's life and experience but to me it didn't seem sort of uh like i said insensitive that said i am a cis woman and i believe that the writer is as well it's a supporting character so i i kind of appreciate seeing a more diverse set of characters which becomes a more realistic set of characters when we are talking about books. But again, it's it's not an own voices representation in that way, so far as I can tell. I did look around a little bit, and the criticism that I saw was less um, related to the uh, fact that the character was trans and the way that that representation was done, and more that it was kind of a one-dimensional character. But honestly, this is one of those books where a lot of the supporting characters are kind of mm. one-dimensional. And I really liked it, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But first, I did want possible readers to know that that's one of the perspectives there. And because I can't represent that perspective, I wanted to give everybody a heads up. So that is the, the the serious and important part of this review. The other part is that this book is just kind of bananas. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> we like in a good way, in that way that we've been talking about where I think you are having a hard time reading and I am having a hard time reading anything that isn't very sort of plot heavy and actiony and like, so this is going to sound like a tangent, but stick with me. I lately, I recently had to to fly about five or six hours either direction out to the West Coast to, to deal with some family stuff. And I started watching a show called Designated Survivor. <laughs> and it is bananas. It's about the person who gets set aside at the State of the Union so that they can become the president. They're in the line of succession. It stars Kiefer Sutherland because of course it does. Mm-hmm. And everyone dies and he becomes president. And the show is completely off the rails mm-hmm. it's just bananas but it is yeah you can absolutely focus on it for a six-hour plane ride lady's formula for love is sort of the same in that way <laughs> like there's a part of you that's a little like wait what how did this like in doesn't need survive you're like wait this guy used to be a spy and now he's the chief of staff like i don't understand how this happened but also i don't care i'm into it <laughs> so this book has a lot of characters it is at its core it's about uh, a woman who's a, a widowed scientist who, because she, Violet was was married to, I want to say a duke, but certainly someone of the British aristocracy. You know, thank you, aristocracy. Uh, you can tell I read a lot of, of historical. Uh, <laughs> she has, you know, kind of the, the means and ability to start this secret club for other women scientists. And the, like, the plot is, this is how you know how I felt about this book that, again, I found very delightful. My my notes say that she has to find a science to counteract a different science. <laughs> and science in both cases is in quotes, because I can't remember really what the thing was <laughs> or what she needed. But, like, she had to do a science 
to counteract a different science that, like, the bad guys have. And, like, someone is after her to stop her from inventing the science. And it kind of doesn't matter. Like, (laughs) the bad guys are also very, like, sort of one-dimensional. Like, they're bad, but also they're fighting for workers' rights. So there's a little party that's like, oh, is that bad? But they're violent, so then it's bad. So, like, all of that happens. Enter the bodyguard who's, like, had this troubled sort of traumatic past, who is a friend of her stepson. He's going to protect her. There's all of these other people who are also marginalized scientists. (laughs) And it's just kind of, you know, you just sit on the couch and read it and... Yeah, sometimes you're like, wait, why is Kiefer Sutherland doing that now? Then you're like, you know what? I'm here for it. It's fun. (laughs) And I, like I said, it it absolutely captured my attention. I think I did pretty much read it in a day. And that is, uh, again, Ladies Formula for Love. If you have to be on a plane or sit someplace for five hours and designated survivor is not available to you, pick it up. So that's the one that I finished. The one that I just recently started. I can't remember if you talked about this last year or not, Jess, but I am behind... The Game on Reading, If the Boot Fits by Rebecca Weatherspoon. Y'all might remember that there, that Rebecca is now, this is her second book in sort of a fairy tale focused series. The first one was more of a Sleeping Beauty style book, A Cowboy to Remember. This one is the Cinderella book. And obviously, because it's an adult Cinderella book, the like night at the ball where she leaves her shoe <laughs> is actually a hookup at an Oscar party where she accidentally steals someone's Oscar. So the um, one of the main characters in the story is is Sam Pleasant, whose brother you might remember from that first book. Uh, his whole family you probably remember. He just won an Oscar. He hooks up with this woman, Amanda, who is a personal assistant to this Hollywood starlet. They totally hit it off, but she sneaks off in the morning, accidentally steals his Oscar. I keep mentioning that because it gave me a lot of anxiety <laughs> when she just sent it back with a courier. I was like, that seems... Destined to fail, but okay, good for you. It works out okay. It's first chapter. I'm not ruining anything. Um, and you know, it's I'm not I'm not super far into it yet. But like the family in these books is the kind of family that you sort of want to like melt into and pretend you always just existed in. Mm. And Rebecca's great at that. Like the groups that she has in her stories are always so wonderful. Uh, this one seems pretty fluffy, which I'm very much here for because if I if I'm not going to have sort of like chaotic making of science, mm. then I'm uh, very much into uh, contemporary fairy tales with uh, a little more a little more steam to them. Mm. So again, that is If the Boot Fits by Rebecca Weatherspoon. Awesome. And I probably have mentioned it before, but, you know, it's always a good day to mention a Cinderella retelling with cowboys. Exactly. That's the thing. And like, it's very tongue in cheek. It's like the charming ranch. And they're all princes, charming. I don't know. You, you guys will get it. You'll pick it up. So if you have read any of those books, or honestly, if you've watched Designated Survivor, I have a lot of questions. So so please reach out. <laughs> it would be really helpful. And I think with that, if you if you want to reach out, you can reach us as always at winandromance at bookriot.com or on the socials. What are your socials, Jess? You can find me on Twitter at Jess's Reading, all one word, or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading and i have a really brief funny story about that my uh my husband's friend at work uh apparently was he he follows me on instagram and told my husband he's like i haven't seen what jess is reading recently is she okay (laughs) oh it was like oh that's so great (laughs) so nice yeah well and jess might be less interested in your thoughts on designated survivors so you can send those to me at trisha haley brown uh mostly on instagram once in a while on twitter 
or send either slash both of us uh, all of your thoughts about all of the many sort of odd, kind of complicated news stories that we talked about this week. Straightforward in a way, but also just a little complicated too. So, and of of course, again, please do rate and review. As Jess said, if there's a book that you've read or or something that we turned you on to, um, please let us know that too, and then we'll tell more people about it. Yes, and and absolutely amazingly humongous thanks to our audio editor Jen Zink, especially for this episode. Um, you all won't be able to tell. Yeah, you guys aren't gonna know, but this one was messy. It was very messy. So if you couldn't tell how messy our show was, please uh, feel free to give us a five-star rating and we'll know it's for Jen. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jess, as always, this was lovely, if messy. If <laughs> Lovely, if messy. Uh, there we go. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for listening. And in the meantime, if you're reading, happy reading. <laughs>